thanks to Australia's pride and joy, the NBN. I bring you live via telephone, old school, Pete Mitchum for Radio Brews News. Pete, welcome back. And I should throw in Cry Moulton there as well, Pete, before I uh, get you on mic. Connecting your call now. Please hold. Hello, Matt. Hello, can you hear me? G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Uh, apologies. Uh, yeah, not even in an NBN. I'm, I'm concerned now that my internet uh, at home is actually going to get worse once the NBN arrives, uh, although that would be a neat trick because it couldn't be any more shitty than it is just at the moment. Sorry about that, Matt yeah. and listeners. Yeah, gremlins in the machine. Uh, it, it's possible um, that it's actually the evil empire that is um, Apple um, who... Um, and, and can I just start off with a prof's pot shot? Because it's not actually beer related, but I just need to get it off my chest. Otherwise, I'm going to be... Cue the pot shot, Lottie. All right. All right, here it is. I'm going... I'm, I'm thinking... There's, there can't be anything wrong with the internet. I'm doing ping tests from my phone, and it's coming up with, you know, great download speeds. I'm thinking, it's, it's got to be my laptop, or it must be Skype, or there's, there's, there's something else that I just can't get a handle on, and I'm not an IT person. Then I find out that in the last iOS upgrade they bastards snuck in this little bloody thing that gives you... It's uh, Look, the tech guys will know what I'm talking about. It's like a, a wireless boost. It's like a turbocharger. So that if you have got low um, wireless pickup or whatever, Wi-Fi... Um, Jumps onto your 3G and uses your... Uh, and it'll boost download. and use my data. So I'm sitting here thinking, oh, this is great. But in somewhere in the back end of my phone, these bastards have snuck this little bloody thing that is chewing up my data and making me think that I've got better Wi-Fi than I have. So then I waste time looking for other solutions to problems that don't exist. <laughs> I'm better now. Oh, okay. So sorry, it wasn't, wasn't, beer, wasn't beer related. Alienated half our audience by showing the uh, <laughs> Luddites that we are, given the high percentage of uh, infotech people who are very into their craft beer. Yeah, well, my Patreon dollars are going straight to upgrading my uh, Wi-Fi. There you go. So I'm going to gonna forego the beers. But listen, next time, Matt, next time we speak, uh, it won't be an issue. Well, it won't be that particular issue because uh, we will be face-to-face, tete-a-tete, mano a mano. I know that's hand-to-hand, isn't it, in Spanish? So, uh, yeah, perhaps not quite that friendly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll be uh, with the, our, official, our officially unofficial 100th episode. Exactly. So looking forward to that. Um, very well, much looking so forward we'll to that. So we'll make it up to you. We'll make it up to you, listeners. So and I should say that little rant was because uh, Prof's sensitivity is down this week because we are speaking to him by phone, not for any reason other than the internet's not working at Casa del Professor. Casa del Pilsner, thanks. Pilsner, yes. Sorry. My jug has a handle. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, right. Hey, um, speaking of which, the Australian Craft Brewers Conference kicks off next week where we will be uh, recording. Looking forward to catching up there. Um, sounds like there's going to be a real gathering of the tribes. Very, very exciting news and looking forward to catching up with a lot of uh, good beer peeps. Although, Prof, I do have to say, I'm not sure if you've seen in your Facebook uh, that the Australian Craft Brewers Conference has been billing itself as uh, the Australian Craft Brewers Conference is a conversation, a rather large conversation. Now, that remind, that I, I've heard that line before somewhere, Pete. Do you know what? I reckon, I reckon that's uh, like when Family Guy uses a piece of music, you change it just enough that it's recognisable as that to which it is parody, parodying, but it's not quite close enough. It's 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 Stairway to Heaven rather than uh, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. 
<laughs> yeah. I reckon they've used just enough of it to, to you know, get, create the hook, but not enough to infringe copyright. Were we to have uh, it? It's nice to see that that idea that pure as a conversation has uh, uh, sort of permeated the, uh, the the mindset, and it, it, it is accepted that pure as a conversation. It's, it's entered into the lexicon, and for that we are proud. Yeah, very proud. But it, it, it's a nice little segue into our first news story this week. Um, over the last week, uh, I've been seeing quite a few stories, as happens with everything these days, when one site runs a story, everyone starts running the same story, um, even though it's not actually news. But um, the Wall Street Journal ran a story, as hop puns run dry, craft beer trademark litigation heats up, and that was uh, mirrored across a number of other publications, um, such as even Fox News, inside the food fight over catchy craft beer names. Um, and the, the essential gist is that with more than 4,600 craft breweries in the US, um, the, the, there's starting to see a lot of overlap in brewery names and a lot of a clashing of uh, brewery names and also beer names. Um, and uh, we, we've started to see that in Australia a little bit. You know, with uh, Keiju um, had an issue that saw them change their name to Keiju and then they've in turn, uh, a brewery um, has, you know, enforced its own Thanks, Prophet. It is starting to become a bit of an issue that we are starting to see a lot of, you know, similar similar names. You know, Hoptiman Primes, all of those sorts of things. You have various, uh, you know, plays on the hop theme. Um, yeah, yeah, Millennium Falcon, and I mean, yeah, there are lots of there are many examples of names that. And and at the end of the day, is it is it just because craft again is showing that point of difference? Where, you know, the um, the big Big beer has tended to go for uh, either established traditional brands that uh, create a, either a sense of place or call on a you know a, a name or a founder, whether it be a, you know, a James Squire or the place Matilda Bay or whatever it might have been. Um, Big beer has always had, uh, I guess, the um, yeah, Carlson Draft or Tui's New. It's it's all about who we are and or where we've come from and that sort of thing. Whereas um, whilst that story intrinsically is important to craft brewers, uh, in order to be heard above the noise, you need that catchy name. And, and Fat Yak is probably the perfect example of uh, a beer that, um, in my experience, I know many punters tried without knowing what uh, an APA is. Uh, but oh, I've got to try that. Um, you and I have seen it um, in spades. At well, the, uh, with people going, give us one of them feral hot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I don't care. Have you, have, have you had an IPA before? <laughs> and they'll sort of look at you. Yeah, but it is a beer, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, so, and they'll, they'll quite happily pay. Yeah, mate, you just pull that tap handle and I'll drink whatever comes out of it because it's a great name. based on the so, name alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the, there is definitely value in the name. Are we now seeing, I guess, where the creative well is running dry and we're running out of puns and snappy names and we're now starting to either combine existing ones and other people think, well, hang on, is that, you know, diluting my brand or, or uh, piggybacking off the success of my brand? Do we need to start getting clever again or is it now time to um, maybe go back to the future and create names that, that have that sense of place or the, the person or the, the brewery name? Well, interesting, uh, the, you know, hot on the heels of the, the discussion about the conflicting uh, names and the overlap. Um, Beer Advocate, which uh, always has some interesting content, um, had a column 
that I saw come up in my feed today. Time to grow up beer's branding, beer branding's cleverness deficiency, and looking at the, uh, you know, the, the, the similarity of names, but also just how, you know, perhaps puerile some of the naming is. You know, the the, the race to the bottom, um, and uh, the, the, the finishing. And Andy Crouch, who's a very highly respected beer writer, um, finishes beyond the rampant childishness, sexism, and occasional borderline racism. These labels are most often just unfunny, cheap, and lazy attempts at humour that would have been laughed out of any comedy writer's uh, room. Uh, small brewers can and should do better. Um, which I, and I shared that because I, you know, I sort of think that, as with everything, um, it depends on your point of view and different people are going to look at it differently. But it is just an underlying message I think brewers need to, uh, to, to consider um, with their naming. That you know, maybe we only need so many um, yeah, hop-derived uh, uh, puns. Names. Puns, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the funniest thing, I, 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 out of all of it, um, the funniest thing that I thought was the Wall Street Journal's article, which uh, I'll share in the notes, um, talked about <laughs> trademark lawyers have gotten so used to the beer disputes that they are now turning on each other. Some dozen lawyers are contesting San Diego lawyer Candace Moon's attempt to trademark the name Craft Beer Attorney, which she says she rightfully deserves. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just the brewers that are... Uh, having trademark issues, it's uh, lawyers that are wanting to uh, see them, you know, sells as a uh, craft beer, which I thought was a nice little uh, twist. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so yeah, we're going to see, are we going, are we going to see traditional uh, law firms change their names from, you know, the staid and uh, traditional names like, you know, Sue Grab It and Run to, uh, you know, catchy, you know, hop on board um, craft attorneys yeah. or, uh, you know. Exactly. There's got to well, be some other puns in there. Send, send us in your favourites. There's got to be some good. Uh, some good law, you know, ambulance chaser and Gordon. Um, you've got to be able to perhaps, you know, work something into that. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, put my mind to it. So, yeah, just an what interesting... Uh, we yeah. are going to see it. Uh, we're, what we're following um, up. News, we had the uh, South Australia Beer Awards. Um, Smiling Samoyed Brewery has won the best beer in show trophy um, at the Royal Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards. Um, look here, the list is a pretty long... I find that the regional awards tend to be much smaller, obviously, than the AIBA or next week's uh, Craft Beer Awards. Um, well, yeah, more, more so regionally focused. Yeah, but there's still and, and good long, to see uh, our, our good friends who have been good supporters of us in the early days uh, up at the Ecker, Hills Cider Company, got um, Best Cider. And interesting one for me, I thought, was Pirate Life. Um, for me, I guess this was maybe a bit of a litmus test um, to see whether or not... You know, um, because somebody, oh, but, you know, it's, there's just so much hype around it, you know, the, and great marketing and all that sort of thing, you know, will, will the beer stand up? And I think if, you, um, if you're coming, if you're winning as many awards as they did uh, in their own, you know, small backyard uh, as they are nationally, then I think that sort of, that says a bit. I thought they, they should be quite proud of that. Mm. And uh, also good to see Cooper's um, featuring. So, yeah, Cooper's yes. still uh, in, in its home patch. So That was for their yeah, premium nice. lager, I think, wasn't it? Uh, it was for their premium lager, but also the Sparkling Ale was Best Australian Style Pale Ale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was good. So um, let me see. Uh, what else? One, one more news item. Coming soon, uh, this was in Popular Mechanics, of all places. Um, uh -huh. Coming soon to an airplane near you, beer on tap. Um, apparently, uh, we can look forward to Dutch airline KLM. Um, has announced plans to bring beer tap on board their flights, giving passengers the pub experience at 35,000 feet. Um, now, Prof, the first thing I thought about when I was thinking about the uh, pub experience is the last thing I want is some leering drunk with a, uh, a TAB <laughs> doc uh, 
Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> and especially a Dutch one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, what do you got here? It's got some nice beer on tap on the plane. It's very nice. But, uh, but uh, the, the most interesting thing about this was um, creating a beer tap that functions at a high altitude was no easy task. Apparently, the decreased air pressure means that traditional beer taps don't work. Instead, only dispensing foam. So I thought that was a, you know, how they got around that. Of course, um, and decompression that. And here's probably another one for the, for the technical uh, out there amongst our listeners. But decompress, you know, like you know how you have compressed, you know, the different air pressure and that sort of thing. Could you use like cask ale, um, and it would sort of naturally squeeze the beer out? I wonder. I know it's probably taking it a step too far for, you know, I don't know how much uh, market there is on KLM flights for real ale or cask ale, but. Well, then, and, and I guess that's the, the end question. Sure, you know, wheeling a um, kegerator essentially up the aisle of the plane. Uh, <laughs> but when, um, which seems to be the way that they're doing it. But at the same time, you know, given that it's Heineken, um, nothing wrong with Heineken, very solid beard, just, you know, hardly representing a great deal of choice, whether it's, you know, bottle and keg would it or... Taste, uh, would it taste markedly different for the effort that you've got to put into kegging it, would it taste markedly different to the cans or bottles that they would offer anyway? Exactly. So, you know, and, and yeah. as I said, um, when Four Pines, you know, had their really interesting space beer initiative, so they can provide uh, beer on flights um, as space tourism becomes a thing, how about we worry more about getting good beer on Qantas um, before we start wondering what, the, you know, the astronauts, you know, the few people who are going to fly into space are going to drink? Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh, no, that's my pot shot. That's my shit can. Yeah, that's all right. That's not a bad one. Um, mate, well, that, that's really all from news. We've uh, covered the CBIA. Um, interesting story on Brews News this week. James Atkinson posted a bit of a story about, hey, dude, where's my brew pub? You know, looking at the, you know, how brew pubs really haven't been the big thing in Australia, but we might be starting to see a few more of them spring up, you know, as the retail space, you know, bottle shops and... Uh, you know, the, the distribution chains filling up um, with beers that, you know, maybe we will see more brew pubs starting to open up uh, for, for people who want to brew and also, uh, you know, stay in business. Yeah, yeah. And look, I've had extensive talks with people like Steve Jeffers from the local tap house and Gabs, who uh, has travelled extensively in the States and the local tap house itself, apart from the brewery of the brew pub side of things, but he was very much influenced by by those sorts of um, you know, father's favourite, uh, father's office, local hangout, um, you know, a good range of, you know, 20 or so uh, pr- primarily local beers on tap um, with four of those taps or five of those taps being um, beers that are produced on site in a, in a small system. And I think the more that people travel and particularly get enamoured with those kinds of, of concepts, come back to Australia and realise that that's perhaps what we're lacking, that there, um, there, there becomes a market for it. I know there are a couple... Existing and, and it, it's actually probably where we started the craft beer journey. You know, Matilda Bay in the early days um, uh, at the Sail and Anchor. Um, you've got the Loaded Dog and the um, Redback Brewery Hotel and the G Bung Polo Club that had you know small little systems producing two or three house beers along with um, you know those of the the parent company or whatever it might be. Um, Bad Shepherd certainly down here in Melbourne is a great example of. Um, of how it can really work well. Uh, and I think once people go and visit places like that, um, two brothers, two birds, um, which have that, that kind of feel, I, I think it'll inspire more to do the same. 
Yeah, and um, Brisbane's uh, seen a few. I mean, Green Beacon um, started very much as a brew pub. Yeah, perfect um, example. Catchment. Catchment, um, which is really finding its feet um, over there. Great food and the, the beers are coming along. Um, and then you've got the ones that are seem a bit more of a hybrid where you had, you know, for example, Newstead, which whilst a brew pub, um, you know, very, very quickly um, went into contract brewing for its to uh, you know, fund its yeah. package and, and, and sort of create a distribution um, model. Um, but then are building a much bigger production brewery on the back of that um, in the shadow of the Forex brewery, which is a nice source. Yeah, I, so, I, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder, Matt, I don't know what, the, what it's like in Brisbane and our, our Sydney listeners and Adelaide listeners and Perth listeners might have their own opinions as well and, and Tassie because um, Hobart Brewing Company is a, a great example um, of, of the same kind of thing. Is that some people don't want to take the chance of, you know, I'm not a hospitality guy, I'm a brewer. So you really almost need that second string to your bow because if you muck up the hospitality side of things... Um, you can you can get into a, into a bit of strife, but having everything kind of in house and serving most of your beers face to face with the with the customer is a great way a to get uh, you know feedback. And Derek Hales talked about this in an article on Brews News this week. Um, I think it might have been within James's piece, mm, um, uh, saying yeah, it's it's a great opportunity to to get the feedback straight away. Um, so you can you can either tweak your beers or go yeah we we are doing what we do well. And the key thing for me, I think, that Derek pointed out um, was that it gives you much greater control or stewardship of your beer because it's coming straight out of a tank, straight into a keg, straight into the customer's glass. There's no relying on, you know, um, cool transport. There's no relying on, you know, Trevor, the spotty 18-year-old on the forklift at Uncle Dan's or whatever, leaving the pallet out in the sun or, um, you know, the beer. In, in, it, you, you know, basically, where it's come from. Uh, and, and it's a much shorter trip to the to the customer. Mm. Yeah. So, but anyway, I thought it was a great story. Highly recommend it. Uh, now, Prof, moving right along, who's our uh, interviewer today? We've got a really interesting. Well, I, I hope you'll enjoy this. I think it's a really interesting um, interview with a, a guy I have a, a lot of respect for. But I think probably, um, and we used the, the line in the the interview that they fly a little bit under the radar. Um, a guy called Ben Weymouth, who is uh, a very, very good brewer and a champion bloke and speaks very, very interestingly about uh, all things beer and cider and wine and hospitality at Napoleon and Co. in um, the very chilly, at the moment, Yarra Valley in Victoria. Well, let's get on and uh, have a chat to Ben. Ben Weymouth is a very tall brewer with uh, a most beautifully coiffed beard Welcome to Radio Brews News. How you doing? A shorter, shorter beard at the moment. I've done a bit of a bit of a trim. When you start getting yogurt in it in the morning, it's uh, it's probably time for a trim back. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should point out too, Ben, that of course uh, for some of our listeners, you are in the, the I guess the the heart of the Yarra Valley at Coldstream, or or the entrance to the, the Yarra Valley. Uh, in Melbourne here this morning, suburban Melbourne, uh, I woke up to I think it might have almost been in positive figures. Um, I'm guessing Coldstream is a little bit below that. A uh, little, little bit below that, yeah. No snow yet, but uh, still holding out some hope. We'll see how we go. Now, Ben, you've been brewing for a little while. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Ben Weymouth story uh, as a brewer and how you got to where you are at the moment. Uh, Brewing-wise, started well on the on the home front. So I'm one of the, the home brewers turned uh, turned professional and started doing that at uh, 18 actually through a, a medieval uh, studies class at university. It got me making mead, and then that got me interested in uh, interested in beer. 
so I started playing around with that and then uh, went and worked in horticulture for a while. So ended up being a professional horticulturalist for a little bit and made the jump across into to brewing, realizing that I was spending all my time and all my money on uh, on beer. So I figured I should probably spend a little bit more time and a little bit more money on beer and made the jump across and uh, got the first professional gig with O'Brien's out in uh, Ballarat, so making gluten-free beer, which, is, uh, which was a great spot to start. Sorry, Ben, just before we go into talking about the, the most recent things, did I hear you right? You were studying medieval studies. Oh, I've, I've, uh, I always tell people this is uh, proof of what you can do if you've got a Bachelor of Arts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did philosophy and stuff at university uh, originally, so that's, uh, that's the background and also a little bit of horticulture at university and also a bit of brewing at university. I'm a, a mixed mash of going back, studying for a bit and realising I'm working too much and can't continue to study and buying a lot of books and reading a lot, really. Your mum and dad must have uh, been had no concerns for your uh, financial future doing uh, medieval studies and philosophy. Uh, no, absolutely no concern for my financial future. I think they just let me run with it. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, you'll work it out, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and you did. So it, it led to brewing, and uh, sorry, and, and it led you to uh, gluten-free brewing at O'Brien's. Yeah, so I ended up uh, brewing it uh, in Ballarat for doing that, which was a great spot because. Uh, no specialty malts available on the, the gluten-free side. You you make everything yourself. So they've got a little roaster and they roast all their own dark malt and make all their own crystal malt. So to do a batch of IPA it could be, you know, two weeks of uh, making some crystal malt before we actually got the chance to, to brew it. And then uh, no malt specification sheets. So it's all kind of, you learn it as you're going and the, your malt spec is what you got from that brew. You adjust for the next one. So it's uh, very hands-on in that respect, which is a really nice way to kind of to get an introduction. And, and how did you learn uh, about the malting process? Because it's not just uh, malting barley either. It's malting a range of uh, fairly exotic grains. Yeah, sorghum and millet uh, up there. It's, uh, that was mostly through Andrew Lavery, who's the um, head brewer up there. And he's uh, he's been making gluten-free beer for a good number of years and has a good a good more, you know, knowledge on that and was happy to share, which was nice. So it was, uh, you know, he did all the, uh, the tests to make sure that we actually could germinate the, the malt that you, you were meant to get. So you had to do your own viability tests before you even purchase the grain so it's uh, taking on that side of stuff and they've got a nice network up there but it makes it it's definitely an extra level of complexity I don't think a lot of well, a lot of people take for granted that we've got good malt and we can buy good malt um, it makes it a, that bit harder when you've got to make it yourself and find supply and source for it so there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into that really happy they got that gold this year actually that's um, when you realize the amount of work that goes into to even source your malt and get it that's, that's a huge achievement and it's also one of those things that you hear about gluten-free beer is it's always so expensive. I don't think people really understand, you know, that it's not like buying a $35 carton of mainstream lager. Um, it's there, there is not just scale, but there are the, the processes that you're talking about of having to mulch your own uh, grains. Yeah, and uh, different, different slide, well, slightly different processes, well, mash filter press and all that kind of thing. It makes it extra levels of complexity that you don't you don't have. It's nice being able to, to call up someone and, you know, call up Gladfields or call up Intani and say, Can I have two hundred kilos of pale malt? And it shows up and it's it's good and it works. It's uh, as opposed to getting a ton bag and a ton bag that might might convert better than it did last time or might not and then having to make the adjustments as you go when you're dealing with and they've they've got some decent quantities, so when you're dealing with quite a few thousand litres, it's um can be a bit of fun. <laughs> Has that or is that changing, Ben? Um, since you're at O'Brien's, like nowadays, uh, are any of the, you know, the the smaller ones, perhaps you know the Gladfields or or, or such, looking into um, malting different grains for gluten-free I, market? 
I haven't seen the gluten-free fighter stuff yet. It's because Australia's got very tough regulations on that kind of thing. So I don't know how they would go using the same um, the same kilns and everything in order to make that malt and be certain that it was gluten-free and that there wasn't any contamination across for uh, for the consumer. So I think that would be probably one of the challenges. But I haven't seen anyone supplying it yet. So that might so, be so would that literally be... Okay, so is that a similar situation to, you know, uh, the warnings on uh, chocolate bars and things that, you know, may contain traces of nuts? Is it the same thing with if um, if you're using equipment to malt uh, regular grain, you can't then also use that for, like, there could be cross-contamination into, into gluten-free? Yeah, it's my understanding that you've got to have, you've got to have pretty, pretty tight um, controls over what's coming through. Very, very tight in Australia. If something's labelled gluten-free, it's, um, I can't remember the exact threshold, but it's, it definitely is because some people react obviously horrendously to it, and you can't do that to people yeah. on the food front. So you've got to be very tight with that. And the other the other issue, of course, with uh, with doing it is one sourcing the grains and uh, making it work malting wise, but to the brew house, the brew house setup's different. So your standard uh, lauder ton is not what you're going to be able to use for making gluten free beer, unless you also want to put in a truckload of rice hulls. And having done that on the home brew front a little bit to play around with the gluten free <laughs> beer, it's a it's a it's a it's a long day. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, multiple challenges, I think, that uh, stop people looking at that route and obviously to the, the stigma that goes along with it. Yeah, I have great respect for celiacs. I think if I if I woke up one day and you know, found that I was celiac, I think I'd just learn to embrace cider. Yeah, I think that would uh, that could be the optional wine or one of the other, <laughs> the other things that's out there. Yes. Uh, no, let's not get silly about it. No, we, we, we don't <laughs> go that far. So, Ben, so that... Uh, that Experience obviously uh, attracted you to Napoleon, or Napoleon was attracted to you and your your skills. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, purely, most of I think most of my things are a lot by a lot by chance. I take um, had a large part, I think, in the way that I've gone career-wise. But for me, it was a, a job advert popped up, and I put in the application and came in and interviewed. And I'm I'm a fairly direct person um, in the way that I interview, and I think they kind of respected that and liked the like the idea and they didn't they didn't want someone who already had a had a name as such in the industry. They wanted someone to do their own thing and take their own direction and kind of, you know, spend a little bit of time and, and build build a brand, not come in with a preconceived let's we've got to do this. Let's just, you know, it was more let's play around on the system, see what we want to do, see what we've got some interest in the market and what we want to produce and what we want to make. And realistically at the moment I've got Four fermenters here, two of which are pretty much constantly lager. So there's not too many uh, breweries out there too that run 50% of their production as lager uh, on the micro front. Um, sometimes up to 75, I've got three tanks running at lager at the same time. I've always got my dream of being able to do all four tanks and uh, take a two-week or three-week break as uh, stuff's fermenting. But I haven't got that yet. <laughs> and I must say too, for those who haven't tried it, I, I was lucky enough to try the uh, the lager uh, at the Royal Melbourne Show, I think this year. Um, and was blown away by it. I, th- it's, um, I think it's a good test of a brewer's skill if you can produce something with a bit of subtlety and nuance and, and character uh, without all the, you know, the big bold flavours um, and then you know, not have any faults pop up, um, I think is a, is, a, is a credit to the, to the brewer's skill level. Were you the first brewer um, that came along to Napoleon? Was that when they moved from yeah, so uh, they, wine um... to cider and then into beer? Yeah, so they uh, they purchased Mubaru's uh, old uh, brew house and Mubaru scaled up and needed a bigger system. So we uh, pulled that out of Mona. Um, they did that before they employed me and before they even had a, a brewer on board realistically. 
and they got me on for the, I don't know if you guys have been to the building here um, out in the Yarra Valley, but they got me on before they'd started construction. So we had the plans, um, but they hadn't laid any foundations or anything yet. So it was, tell us where you want your drains, how you're going to lay the place out, where do you want your power points, what voltages do you want where, and you know where are you going to put your glycol in, how big do you want your cool room in your office and everything, and just lay the whole thing out, really, which was great. So it was from uh, kind of the, the floor up kind of construction project, which was um, fantastic. And you, yeah, are you finding now, sort of you know, jumping ahead a little bit, that... Um, because uh, even when I spoke to Matt uh, about getting you on as a guest, uh, he was surprised. He said, oh, they don't, we've already had cider on a couple of weeks ago. So is there still that, I guess, the perception that Napoleon had such, a, I guess, a strong brand with cider? Is beer starting to sort of make some inroads now or, or are you kind of flying under the radar a little? Uh, probably flying a little bit under the radar, starting to a little bit in, in various spots where we pop up. We've got, a, I mean, sales staff-wise, we've got two guys on the road, so we've got a, a fairly small sales team and with you know four three thousand six hundred litre fermenters i'm producing probably about a hundred hundred and bit thousand litres a year so it's not a huge production uh coming out of here so it's definitely flying a little bit under the radar it probably also doesn't help that uh, our head cider maker is also ben um so we've got a ben head brewer and ben head cider maker which uh, <laughs> people are endlessly getting confused about which one of us is which and both bearded and both lanky so um makes <laughs> it a little bit challenging but we uh it's a it's a good spot, and I kind of embrace having that whole uh, cider and wine thing sitting just up there. It's great being able to take beer up to guys who have spent most of their time tasting wine because they don't they don't hold back. They just say what they think, um, which is fantastic in terms of feedback. You get it uh, instantly, and they're used to tasting, you know, during vintage when you've got 30 kind of wine samples on a bench and you're tasting them all consecutively and making very quick decisions about things. It's um, It's really interesting being exposed to that, and they've been very nice in letting us uh, take down some, some juice and be able to ferment some wines and uh, ferment some cider down at the brewery as well, just to play around with different ferments. My um, my assistant down here is a, a winemaker by trade, so that's his his qualifications. So it's uh, it's good being able to kind of butt heads on kind of different different areas of knowledge and use that to kind of expand what we do here. One of the other uh, favourites of mine of yours uh, was the the first saison that you did. Uh, I'm guessing that would be kind of, I guess, a nice link in with the, I guess, those, uh, you know, more um, aromatic and complex, you know, wine-like flavours uh, might tickle fancy of the uh, of the winemakers up there. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it definitely goes in for, for people who tend to say they're wine drinkers. That's the, that's the beer I tend to, to throw them towards. The other one that uh, throws a little bit of a curveball at people, we had festivals and you have the, the person that comes up and says they normally drink um, Carlton or VB. I tend to throw them uh, a Rauch beer. For some reason, a beer that's uh, malty and tastes like a bacon is so far removed from everything they've tasted previously, it tends to, it tends to work pretty well. Which is the same thing. Yeah, the Rauch beer, I guess, they, they, just, they can't uh, compare it you know, in any way, favourably or unfavourably, to what, what they're used to drinking. So I guess it kind of uh, yeah, resets their, their thinking on what, what, what beer can be. Yes, and when you tell them it's a lager as well, that kind of throws the thinking uh, pattern out again one step further because they used to have lager being that, that that pale kind of traditional lager and when they get thrown that nice dark smoky thing, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a, an interesting one to do. But the Saison's a very straight up down the line beer for me. It's a little bit of rye, mostly pills malt and a really hot and fast ferment. I like that thing up to about 32, 33 degrees. So a fun beer to make and mildly nerve-wracking when you're doing that. And we're starting to do 100% natural carbonation down here too. So 
I'm uh, locking down tanks with just a little bit of ferment left and using that to build up the carbonation in the beer rather than force injecting it with gas because I, um, I don't filter anything here either. Ben, how hard is it when you started work at the brewery and I understand that you were given the instruction that you had to have an American pale ale, but apart from that, the, the, the rest of the range was pretty much up to you. How hard is it when you're given such a free slate to come up with beers that will both keep the brewery doors open, but also let you express your you know, craft as a brewer? Uh, it's, it's challenging. I think the thing you've got to embrace is the fact you're going to fail. Um, you'll do some things that'll work, and you learn from those, and you kind of build on it, but you've also got to realise that you'll do some ones that just don't work, um, and that you might have to get rid of, you know, because it sits around for too long and it doesn't quite hold up the way you want. You've got to, got to dump those gigs. I don't think you... If you're not failing at some things, you're probably not pushing yourselves in the right direction. So I think that's, it's always challenging. It's always worrying because, you know, obviously when you're thinking about the money side of stuff and you, you want to keep things turning over, but you can't, you can't be afraid to, you know, if a tank's not the way you want it, um, to drop it or if, you know, some, some kegs are a little bit old, it's, it's, no, you don't discount it and sell it. You, you put it up to the side and you, you wash those kegs and you don't use the beer, um, because in the end it comes down to how you want to, Build the build the brand up, and you don't. I don't think you build a brand by sending out stuff that you're not 100% happy with. There's a lot of, of talk at the moment in the industry about um, you know what the sustainability of the industry is, and whether it's you know consistency and quality. Uh, you know, where, where do you see the sustainability of craft beer coming from? Quality definitely has to be the main focus I think of everyone I know we all I think every time produces beer they're not 100% happy with and I think in fact for me it's probably most of the time I produce a beer that I'm not 100% happy with but that's that's the challenge of brewing you always want to make what you're doing better um, so the sustainability definitely comes through quality but it also comes through sitting down with really really good business people in the end I'm a I'm a guy who makes beer I'm not a I'm not a, a business you know focused person in that sense I haven't got any formal business training so you want someone who can sit down and go look at your numbers and actually tell you in a really frank way, that's not making you any money. <laughs> you need you need to have that uh, that side of things. So I think sustainability in the brewing sector comes from letting the brewers express their craft, but at the same time letting the business people come to you and actually say that's not going to work. You really have to rethink that because if you can't if you can't be challenged to to push yourself in that respect, you're not going to you're not going to make it there. So it's also obviously looking for where there's some niches in a market and trying to trying to use that as a as a way for your your brand. And I mean, it all comes down to that, the boring business stuff that all gets talked about. You know, your, your marketing things, who's, who you're selling things through, or who's your market and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't. It's not very romantic or very very nice to talk about in that sense. But it's a really serious conversation. I think a lot of people have to to sit down and and have because while it's an absolutely amazing job to to brew beer for a living and to to run a brewery, it's, uh, it can be very stressful at the same time in terms of all the finance side of things and what your cash flow is like, especially when you're paying excise fairly regularly, um, which for us, I think as well as a lot of the, the larger breweries, is pretty much once a week. Um, so it's it can be challenging in, on that front. So I think the sustainability comes from obviously getting everyone, I always talk about education, I think that works across the board, it's getting everyone educated and getting people talking. I think communication is one of the most important things in just about everything, being frank and being able to admit that you've made mistakes and what you can do to make things better and more efficient, really. Efficiency is definitely a big one. So, so for me, my next efficiency is looking at a faster bottling line because that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's definitely a bottleneck. <laughs> 
I, I was about to say, you just used the R word. You talked about the romance. And it's not very romantic talking about the business things. But no, we've, dragged you, we, we, we've dragged you off the, the, the bottling line. Just how romantic is it working, you know, uh, on a forehead filler on a nearly zero degree morning? Um, you know, it, 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 is that a romantic attraction to being a small <laughs> brewer? I um I think it, you know, it comes down to your personality type. I like working on my feet. I'm not a, someone who sits behind a desk for a, for a lot of the time. I work with someone who uh, we you know throw on the country music every now and again, and uh, you know, you've got to you have a chat. And that, that's part of. Fortunately, my bowling line's quiet enough that we can do that. It's when you've got the uh, the earmuffs on and the earplugs in, and you can't talk to anyone, and you're you're staring at bottles flying past. That things can get a little bit uh, repetitive. At the moment, there's uh, still the the hand thing definitely still has the romance in there. <laughs> But you were saying that it's it's a full eight hours to fill one pallet of beer um, using yeah. your, your current. You know, is that something that you wake up, you know, admittedly very early in the morning, thinking, <laughs> oh shit, this is what my day is going to be, plus all of the other you know, unplanned stuff that the, the the day throws at you. You know, is that what you signed up for? Uh, yes, and I was well aware that that's what I was signing up for. I um. I like being involved in all the aspects of the process, and I, I know some places where you don't have brewers on bottling lines. Um, but I always think it's it's best to rotate some people. You know, you always want a different set of eyes looking at something, and where can you get where can you get better efficiency? There's that great Japanese business model where you know if someone can think of a, a new tool to make you know the the whole process quicker. You you embrace that and you you take it on, and if that that works out, then you kind of reward that person for making the whole business more efficient, which is a great way of of applying it. So. I've I like I've got no problems with bottling. I've got no problems with standing on the brew house. It's uh, trying not to avoid doing double brew days because that uh, double brew for me is about uh, 18 to 20 hours, and uh, it's not particularly romantic sleeping in the car halfway through a mash. Uh, <laughs> but but you, you do it every now and again when you have to, and especially with for me, process and time is a big thing. So I don't I don't always look to speed things up. Sometimes I actually look to to slow things down, which is a, probably a different way of approaching it and probably more akin, I guess, to what some of the guys are doing now with their, their barrel projects, taking more time with beer rather than trying to get beer out quicker. So for me, I'm moving the lager across to doing double decoctions for the mashes, which is not an efficient way of doing a mash, but there's something in that process to me that um, that I think needs to be there for the flavour of the beer that I want to end up producing. And there's something about having that contact time of, you know, ends up being two and a bit hours, three hours of contact time with the uh, with your water, with your grain making your wort, it's different, I think, to being able to do the full conversion in 40 minutes and then starting your runoff. So I kind of think sometimes taking the time and also, you know, my lager gets up to about 10 degrees for the ferment and finishes up at 5 degrees. So it's I ferment very, very cool and it takes six or seven weeks to get out. It's not a beer that we um, we try and rush. It's a beer that we take time with. And I always get mildly frustrated when someone says they've made a lager and it took them three weeks. Um, so well, time is the extra ingredient in some of our uh, best-selling lagers. Yeah, it's always a, it's always a question. <laughs> yeah, it well, where was the actual where was the actual lagering time in that process? You know, it's um, I guess which comes to it a lot, and I like when you say what they are because I think that helps the consumer. So if something's labelled as something and it's not really done that way, um, I think that gets very confusing. And talking about sustainability, to what extent does, um, I guess, the tourist side of things, being in the Arrow Valley and being attached to a, a winery and a cidery, um, how much, uh, I guess, is how important is that to the, the business for Napoleon? And 
how good is, how important is that in um, in getting you the, the brand awareness out? Uh, very important. We actually share the brew space here with a restaurant, which is Maletto's, which runs accommodation and stuff on site as well, um, as well as kind of function facilities. So we're two separate businesses running within the same space, which also also is an interesting concept. But they definitely bring in a lot of a lot of people who are just coming along initially for lunch and then kind of realise that there's a brewery attached to the place that they're having lunch and come across and do a do a tasting table or on a, on the weekend when it gets quite busy and you know there can actually be a waste of lunch. People will come across. And instead of, you know, standing, you know, queue for 30 minutes, they can come across and try some beer and try some cider um, and enjoy that experience. So for us, definitely on a weekend, that whole the tourist side of things is um, is big and we get uh, bus groups coming through during the week, which is fantastic. And it's good having those relationships with um, with tour operators that bring people out to your space um, and show them what's what's going on. So it's, it's pretty important realistically. And the Yarra Valley, I think, works in, quite well together. We're always pointing out, you know, head up to Hargraves, go across to Watts, go down and see Four Pillars. Um, there's so much stuff out this way now that people can realistically come out and they can, you know, go past the public brewery in Croydon, come out to, to us here, go to Hargraves, go to Watts and pretty much do a, a brewery tour of an hour out of the city and hit four or five different breweries coming out to the Arrow Valley. And then if they want to switch and try some wine or some cider or some gin, um, they can do that as well. So it's it's a great it's a great thing. And a, a final before we uh, let you get back to the uh, bottling lines, as those those beers yeah. aren't going to fill themselves. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Um, uh, where do you see the next uh, phase of, of Napoleon? Do you, do you see, I guess, a, a slow organic kind of um, growth that you've kind of intimated you you embrace, or do you think you need to kind of, uh, apart from the bottling machine, but you know, perhaps step things yeah. up, or or is it is is, is this growth at the moment? Um, I guess sustainable and, and, and feasible. Uh, I think the growth at the moment is sustainable and, and feasible, and I think that's a, a good place for us to be. There's not the um, there's not necessarily since we've got a, obviously a few other business sources on site, which makes it a little bit um, a little bit easier for us in some respects because we don't have to don't have to push the growth in that respect. It lets us kind of take a little bit of time in growing what we do and and allows us to make some mistakes, which I think does lead to a kind of more solid business when you do eventually. I mean, I think every business throws around the whole five-year and 10-year plan, what you're thinking about doing, and you need to have that down. But when you've... Um, it, it's nice being able to take a little bit of time with growing something and kind of find your way and not do it that more organic way at the same time as having a, a bit of a business plan, but realise that the plan's there to, to help and inevitably you'll throw some of it out the window. Um, and realised that something else is probably a better way. We were really surprised with the. We never planned on doing the lager the way that we have, and been surprised by how much it's been taken up, which is uh, which is great for us. And also rack beer. We never expected. I never expected to be brewing two or three tanks of that in a year, uh, and moving. You know, like 12,000 litres of rack beer. It doesn't really make much sense. But people are uh, people are enjoying that beer as well and getting on that. And kind of just have to take those opportunities and go. All right, that's we'll run with that. <laughs> Well, Ben, mate, great to chat. Um, I absolutely, as I said, as uh, Pete said, um, I knew Napoleon cider very, very well, and uh, I'm a real fan of it. But I didn't realise that you guys uh, were involved in beer, so I'm definitely going to have to add you to my next uh, Victorian trip. Um, congratulations on everything you've achieved there, and uh, thanks very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Cheers. Thanks for your time. In the garden. 
What a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Prof, mate, great, great call getting Ben on. Um, you you introed that by saying that he was probably, you know, flies a little bit below the, the, the radar compared to, to some brewers, and uh, he certainly was something that I'd not, um, you know, I, I knew Napoleon Sider very well, but wasn't sure about, uh, you know, their, their, their brewing. And uh, but that was a fascinating uh, chat. I really, really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, very, very interesting bloke. And if you can, um, very well, very much worth worth the visit. Or if you can uh, catch up with Ben, as I say, he's you know six foot twelve and um, you know a, a beautifully crafted beard, uh, and just uh, you know some people you meet and you just go, you, you're unfazable. Like you just can't. There's very a very short range um, with Ben in far as far as you know emotions go. I, I think he's pretty, just pretty much a a very laid back kind of guy. I don't think much would. Um, apart from eight hour eight eight hour bottling days uh, with a manual forehead filler, <laughs> uh, perhaps test his patient. I, 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 I'd be honest, I haven't seen that. So if there's a webcam footage available, I'd like to, you know, just confirm or deny that. Um, but yeah, just just a lovely bloke and, and um, sells the story very well. Like just or tells the story very well, I should say. If you get a yeah, chance to, and- to have a beer with him. I mean, the, the thing I really took about that was, you know, it, it's a personality type or a mindset um, that he that he came to. Because you and I both talked before on the podcast about whether we brew, and both of us have brewed, um, and I've done enough to really, you know, understand the, the process, but also enough to know that I just don't have the personality type to do the same thing over and over and over again. Where it sounds like, um, you know, Ben is one of these guys that's very zen into the process. Um, yeah, and, and I, uh, I love the concept of you know um, extra time is the sixth ingredient. You know, if time is the fifth yeah. ingredient, <laughs> why 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 cram into one day what you can spread over two? Like you know, and it's it's just a, I think it's a great um, a great philosophy to to brew by. Mm. And so, I think there's a lesson uh, anyway, in that for all of us. I think there is. Uh, now moving on, Prof, you opened up the show with a pot shot. Any uh, beer related pot shots this week? No, 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 that'll do me. I don't want to. I don't want to raise the. Uh, I've just got a new uh, a new Garmin Fitbit, um, and so I, I don't want to see any spikes in my um, in my heart rate. Uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll spoil my it'll spoil my little uh, landscape on the uh, on the app. No worries at all. <laughs> well, we might uh, we might move into cards and letters then, Lockie. You gotta keep those cards and letters coming in, honey. Say you love me time and time again, honey. It's a many a mile from Nashville to Berlin, honey. So keep those cards and letters coming in. Okay, uh, Prof, nice. uh, not, not too much uh, in the cards and letters this week. No reviews. Listeners, don't forget you can help other people find us and uh, you know certainly help us out um, with our traffic and uh, those sorts of things by jumping on iTunes or your favourite podcast uh, platform and you know, giving us a bit of a review. Uh, let us know, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, tell us how we can improve. There's always room for improvement, particularly with this show. 
Um, in fact, in, in fitting with the theme of today's show, Matt, perhaps consider us a, um, you know, um, a, a small brew pub uh, and you've just enjoyed one of our tasty wares and you wish to give immediate feedback. That's your, that's your iTunes review there. There's your incentive. There's your incentive. Although, you know, if you're listening to this on the bus or on the train, um, you might need to wait till you get to work and do it on the yeah. boss's time or wait till you get home. If you're we don't encourage people to do stuff on the boss's time. Don't we? No, don't tell well, them. I don't. <laughs> oh, I had to because Brews News told me to. Well, so, you know, I'm going to block Brews News now from your... Anyway. Oh, that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Um, we don't, we don't so, encourage, you know, basically, you know, petty theft. Yes. We 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 want you to get involved in major theft. Put um, put the stapler back in the stationary cupboard. <laughs> okay, stick, your, I think, uh, stick your Pokemon go before I start getting yeah another pot shop warm, warming up, uh, and just get back to work, and then do all the rest of the stuff later in, on your own time. So uh, cards and letters. We haven't got any cards and letters. No, we we do have one. Uh, Paul Pacey, oh. who's um, you know ten minutes with segment we featured last week. Paul's a uh, patron of the show. Um, and he just shot us a quick note to say, thanks for the interview with Brad Rogers, that was cool. Yes, please, for the Oppenheim follow-up for the invite to Stone Beer, to the Stone Beer Brew Day next year, please. Okay, we'll see what we can do, Paul. Um, regarding the Lark Barrel Age beer, uh, Stone Beer, I was tipped off early, but there was an Instagram post a few weeks ago, and he's linked to that. So that was, Brad was surprised he was over, across that. Across that, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, regarding the Radio Brews New Studios, you guys did pretty well without it, and compared to the competition, I wouldn't be too worried about sound quality. I think the balance between production polish and edge roughness is spot on right now. Oh, that's not nice. That's nice, nice that we have a, a polish-edge ratio that's uh, pleasing to our listeners' ears. Well, at least to some of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, that was nice. And uh, so, Prof, that means maybe you can invest the uh, Patreon money in, well, once you've upgraded your... your Wi-Fi, um, just buying yourself a nice carton of beer. Um, but we'll Done. get to uh, that in just a second. And he just finishes off, uh, Matt, I'm very jealous of your October trip, Oktoberfest trip. It sounds great. Hope to see you guys at the Echo next month. Cheers, blokes. Regards, Paul Pacey. Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you very much for being a patron, which leads us to our uh, pleading for money. Um, as Paul said, yeah, Paul got to ask uh, you know, 10 minutes with the guest of his choice um, because he is a patron of the show uh, we don't ask for too much. Um, we do what we do for free. But if you do like what we do, you see value in it, and we provide you with, you know, an hour, an hour and a half of good quality conversation to get you to work or home from work or just your gardening and other chores um, during the weekend, uh, you might want to jump online and help us out by maybe pledging 5 or $10 a month just to uh, help us cover the costs of what we do. Um, you can find the link on the website, uh, that, and that is Patreon forward slash Ozbrews News. Uh, does that sound? I don't know, Prof. Do, do, do we? No, good. I, I think like, I think we need to record a video with you know, the the arse out of our pants or something along those lines. <laughs> I could just you see know. you in the um, was it the Elizabeth Street Mall up there in Brisbane? Um, <laughs> it just you know it was a, a, a rough old beanie sitting on a rug with a half dead dog and a little cup in your hand. We'll we'll, we'll podcast for food. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't want to make light of the um, uh, you know the Disadvantaged, but the disadvantaged and you know the the social issues um, that are prevalent in our society. Because right, after all, they, they don't have podcasts. <laughs> well, yeah. it would be an easy target. Um, you, know, you were saying? No, 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 no I, I'm not making it at all light or just you know casual or otherwise. But I, I have actually noticed that Brisbane doesn't seem to have that same street 
you know, that happening on our streets as much. And but whenever I'm in Melbourne, you know that that character that you just described, um, you, you do seem to see a few. But, uh, yeah, sure yeah, and it's an it's an increasing issue at the moment. But it's been in the news recently that the the numbers of um, uh, in, in, uh, doubled, I think, in the last five or ten years or so. So, yeah, it's a, an issue that needs resolving mm. for, for everyone's uh, benefit. And yeah, so maybe listeners, if you don't want to uh, become patrons of us, you know, that's another good place for your money. Uh, yeah, a, a great charity. Yeah, yeah, or, or go and take all those uh, old clothes and blankets and stuff that you got, you know, clogging up the linen cupboard, and um, send it off to um, the good people at Vinnie's. Absolutely. Um, Oh, right. Sorry, I didn't mean to finish on such a such a, a down note. Ah, look, we'll we'll find some happy music to take sure. us out and, and bring everything back up. Because mm. we also don't want to be accused yeah. again of, of sort of you know sort of sneaking across into 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 social uh, social justice issue areas or politics or uh, you know gender politics or any, anything like that. But uh, at the end of the day, if we are going to talk about beer as being part of a wider culture, then other elements of wider culture are certainly going to uh, come out of the spotlight and um, be chatted about, if, if, you don't if, want to give, if, if only briefly. You don't want to give your thoughts on Brexit then, Prof? No, no views on Brexit? No, they've made their bed, now you've got to line it. Good on them. It's, it's a democratic process. You can't, you know, go off half-assed whinging about the result when, you know, you, you created it. There you go. Oh, I, love, I love this, Prof. I'm, I'm just sitting here smiling. I'm not stirring any... Thing this week and the last couple of weeks it's been all you. <laughs> yeah. oh. Well, you know, <laughs> you set them up, I'll knock them down. Okay, man. Hey, nice uh, short, sharp show. Uh, we did actually have a comment. Um, uh, apparently, uh, I'm trying to find it in my Twitter feed. I won't do that. There's enough mouse clicks as there is as it is. Um, but yeah, so somebody suggested just paste perhaps, it. Paste uh, it back in afterwards over the um, over the music. Yeah. Tuck it <laughs> yeah. in as another Thank little you. Easter egg. Anyway, Prof, really looking forward to catching up with you uh, in person next week. IRL, as our rapidly ageing children say, teenage <laughs> children. When, when we started this podcast, our children were so young, they didn't have iPhones or anything. Facebook no, that's pages. right. Yeah, look at them now. Look at them now. They, anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll just sail on out here on the back of one of Lockie's cracking good polka tunes. Prof, welcome back. Catch up with welcome you back week. too, Lockie. Good to have you back. Not that there was anything wrong with... Matt's editing, I thought it was deluxe. And we're out. <laughs>